welcome to the Soar Community Network podcast with your host, Malie Ponpadit. Here, inside our community, we help each other see, own, articulate and release our unique message and mission into the world. Uncover your gifts and talents, release your passions, own your purpose and let's soar together. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the SOAR Community Network podcast. I am your host, Mali Ponpidit, and today we have Susan Bodiger with us with 30 years experience as a copywriter, broadcast producer, and account planner. Susan Bodiger has developed branding, image, and fundraising campaigns for a wide range of advocacy, healthcare, nonprofit, professional practice, and retail clients. She is the founder of One Girl Wellness, a health coaching consultancy dedicated to raising stronger women one girl at a time. She works with women on issues of weight and self-esteem and helps them make peace with their bodies by learning how to love and heal themselves. She is the author of Fat Girl, How to Get Over Your Weight and On With Your Life, her story of healing and reinvention. She has also been published in the Huffington Post and on, and on yahoo.com and today.com. Thank you so much, Susan, for being with us. Well, thank you for inviting me. You make me sound so so grand. <laughs> well, your bio is so full that I stumbled there. There's so much uh, that you've done already. So thank you for letting us be a part of media to get your message and your story out there. Well, I, I appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely. Well, I always like to start uh, with telling stories. So can you share with us um, your background and what led you to do this work at One Girl Wellness? Let's hear it all. I started out as a copywriter, um, an account planner and branding consultant, as you outlined. And I have been doing that consistently my entire professional life. But recently I decided I needed to take that communication talent and an interest in healthcare and put it to work in another arena. And I knew I wanted to do it in, in a one-to-one basis because that's the way I like to work. And I discovered health coaching. And in the course of the coaching, Uh, The founder of the school, who really was the facilitator for most of the coursework, said, think very carefully about your niche. You may not go on to be a health coach as such. You may go on to nutrition or cooking or developing a product. You may become an author. But think about the kind of person you really, really want to reach. And I thought, well, obviously, I want to reach people like me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not, not because I'm, I'm a narcissist, but I knew from my own life and from people around me that there are, are an awful lot of unhappy women who are unhappy because of their weight. They don't like themselves. They don't feel comfortable in their own skin. They don't feel that they have the right to take up space. And I knew that feeling because I had been one of those girls. And I thought, I want to help people like me. Maybe I'll even cure myself a little bit of some (laughs) of the leftover baggage that I was carrying around. 
And so that's how One Girl Wellness was born. I, I became certified through the Institute for Integrative Nutrition, so I'm an official health coach. But as you indicated in your intro, I work exclusively with women on getting to know themselves, love themselves, and heal themselves. Well, Susan, take us back to your childhood because, you know, the work that you do really does require tapping into a place where your clients really know that you can relate. So I'd love for you to share um, your journey as a child and what were you feeling? What were some of the things that you're hearing now from your clients? It's like, oh, gosh, I understand. I can empathize. I remember saying that to myself or still, you know, working on that particular issue. So please take us back in time. All right. Turning on the Wayback Machine. <laughs> I grew up in New York City to very old world parents and grandparents. I was an only child and I got a lot of attention, not all of it positive. And I had to meet very strict standards of perfection. And I got the, the smarts down. I was a smart kid and I did very well in school, but I was an enthusiastic snacker. I sought comfort in food. It was not an outwardly loving home. I, I knew my parents loved me, but they were, they were cold. They were, they were not people of the heart so to speak. And being perfect in every respect was something that my mother really, really wanted for me. And I would hear, you don't want to eat that. You'll get fat. Stop eating. You'll get fat. You're not really hungry. Don't eat that. You'll get fat. And even at times when I wasn't overweight, I would hear this message and I would look in the mirror and I would say to myself, well, I don't see a fat girl. What is she talking about? And so I began to lose touch with who I was. It was sort of, who are you going to believe, me or your lying eyes? And I, I, there was this disconnect between what I was hearing and what I was seeing and what I was feeling. And when I became a teenager, which is an age when many girls gain weight, I gained even more weight and I would sneak food. I wasn't really a binge eater, but as I say in the book, I was an enthusiastic snacker and I was looking for softness and I was looking for sweetness because I didn't have any. And so my mother would get terribly upset and it would be a very, very unpleasant conversations, verbally abusive, occasionally physically abusive. And I would be put on very restrictive diets and I would be starving all the time. I would be miserable all the time. I would be hating myself all the time and wishing I were dead. And then I'd lose the weight and then I would be a good girl for a while. And then the weight would come back on because I never really was in touch with my body. I never really knew if I was hungry or not legitimately hungry. I was trying to, I was trying to live second guessing myself and trying to guess what the other person was perceiving about me. Mm. So it was a very bizarre and fragmented existence. So I got married to get out of the house in part. 
And I was thin for my wedding. And then I gained the weight. And to his credit, my then husband never said a word, never said a word to me. And one day I was riding home on the bus and I was reading Mademoiselle magazine, which alas doesn't exist anymore. And there's, of course, it's a woman's magazine. So there's an article about, about dieting. And this woman was talking about how she lost weight. I don't know. I don't remember her name, but wherever she is, I praise her every day. And she said, rather than deny herself food and be obsessing about the food that she wasn't eating, she just ate half. If she wanted a cookie, she'd eat a cookie, but she ate half of it. If she wanted chips, she'd only eat half a portion. She'd satisfy the craving and then she could move on. And I thought, well, my goodness, I can do that. And I did. And I thought, isn't this wonderful? I can literally have my cake and eat it too, <laughs> but I don't have to have it all. <laughs> and I lost the weight and I never gained it back. But it really colored how I saw myself even years later. And I think that's, that's my real motivation because when you are traumatized, in anything, whether it's something as silly as weight or something as profound as leaving the country of your birth, it, it affects how you engage with the world. And if you are constantly being told, as I was, you are not good enough, you're not pretty enough, your opinion does, is not worthy enough of being paid attention to, you go through life afraid to take up space. And I don't want other women to go through that. And I know they do. And so I try to teach them from my experience and I try to coach them out of it and try to say, you know, you are a wonderful human being. You may not be at the weight you want to be at right now, but you have so many talents. Don't hide them. Mm. Don't hide them with your, with your heart and certainly don't allow your worries or your sadness about your weight get in the way of you being the person you want to be. So Susan, tell me how you uh, work with your clients today. When you sit down with another woman and she comes to you and she's discussing her weight or her self-image or her confidence or lack thereof, uh, what kinds of conversations take place? You know, is it primarily about the uh, nutrition, the foods? Is it primarily about, um, you know, exercises and tactics or, or or what has been maybe surprising to you, but at the same time now, because you've done this for a while, uh, is a pretty much standard or common conversation when you work with women? Well, oftentimes a woman comes with a weight problem and that's the hook. Because they go to my site, they see what I've done, they've read Fat Girl, or they've read part of it. And they say, okay, I want to lose 10 pounds. I want to lose 50 pounds. I want to lose 200 pounds. Okay, great. How did you get here? Because you didn't get here overnight. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about what story you talked about stories earlier. What story is your weight telling about you? And who is it telling that story to? Is it telling the story to other people? Because some women, if they have been sexually abused as, as girls, 
they put on a tremendous amount of weight as a, as a, as protection. Mm -hmm. There's a book out now by Roxane Gay called hunger. And it tells the story as she says of her body. And it's a very angry book. And she became morbidly obese consciously, intentionally to protect, to protect herself from being raped again. Wow. So sometimes you really have to dig deep and find out what are the triggers, what was the proximate cause, and then over time, because your client has to trust you, my client has to trust me, once you figure that out, then you can work on treatments for that. Sometimes it's, it's nutritional. Sometimes it's exercise. A lot of times it's just getting to know where this problem has originated so you can demystify it and take the sting out. If you can take the client through the experiences that got her where she is today and she hears herself talk it through, then she can say, oh my God, I know why I'm doing this. When I reach for this candy, it's because I'm feeling this emotion. Well, I say, what can you do that's a healthier option to taking the candy bar? Wow. Well, if you're looking for sweetness, how else can you get it? What mind games can you play with yourself? You know, because food is hard. Food is nourishment and it's fuel, but it can be creative. It can be social. It can be any number of things. So if you really love food, what can you do with your love for food that doesn't involve you ingesting it and not being able to work off those extra calories? Mm-hmm. Well, there's so much tie to, like you said, it's a little complex with food because obviously our body needs it for survival, right? There's, there's legitimately that reason to, to have food or focus on food. But food today in our society, at least here in the United States and in the Western world, uh, food is also entertainment, like you said, and social. And, and food is like um, an experience. You know, you have a lot of television shows and you have people traveling the world, they're what they call foodies, you know, travel mm-hmm. foodies, right? So it becomes this uh, magnified uh, part of our reality, part of our lifestyle. And so like you mentioned, you know, how much of that is, is feeding into the stuff that's happening internally, the triggers, right? Um, and are we aware, conscious about it? Because you, you also have shared with me that it's not just what you're conscious about, it's a lot of subconscious things. A lot That's of right. things being triggered that you don't even know why you crave this or crave that or why you even feel the need to quote unquote sneak food in, you know, who's forcing you to sneak it? Like there's a guilt there associated. So uncovering there's all that. There's a lot of shame. Yeah. There's a lot of shame. Uncovering and that needs someone like, like you, I would say, to just kind of guide them through asking more questions, really not judging, but just asking questions. I do a lot of listening. Mm-hmm. I don't come on with food because food is secondary 
to what's going on in their life. And the first thing I ask every client to do is to, is to have a food and mood diary. And I ask them to write it down, not put it in a, in a, my fitness pal, which is great, but I want to know what did you eat? When did you eat it? Why did you eat it? How did you feel before, during, and after? Because there are patterns. And if you can figure out what you are doing, you can figure out a way not to do that. And yes, it takes tremendous mindfulness and a willingness to put yourself through a little bit of discomfort to overcome bad habits and slowly, slowly, slowly incorporate healthier habits. I have one client who is an attorney and I did not actually see her for the first six months. She lives in Texas. I'm here in Washington. I never saw her. We only talked on the phone. And then one day she called me. She was crying. She had gone shopping and nothing fit and she didn't know what to do. And she had already lost a little weight. So she would, she'd gone shopping feeling fairly hopeful. And I said, well, sweetheart, I don't know what you look like. So I can't advise you about what clothes are going to look good on you. And so she realized that was true. And there was a reason why she didn't want me to see her. So she sent me some pictures. I saw what she looked like. I saw her body shape and I sent her some, some options you know, I took photos from magazines and from fashion books and sent, you know, sent her text messages. And then she called me at the end of the day and she said, I should really, I should really curse you because I spent far more money than I thought. And I got all these gorgeous clothes and thank you, thank you, thank you. And so much is helping a client become comfortable enough with her own body that she can address it in an objective way. Mm. Okay. And I'm not judging. I want to see the diary, not to say, oh, for God's sakes, why did you eat this? <laughs> but let's, let's take a look at what you're eating. Now you say you ate this because you were feeling bored. You said you ate this because you were feeling tired. You said you ate this because you were angry and you needed the crunch of the food or the sweet or something. What can you do, first of all, to manage that emotional experience? And secondly, what can you do that's a healthier behavioral option? Maybe it's taking a walk around the block. Maybe it's taking a run around the block. Maybe it's dancing for five minutes. Maybe it's just getting yourself out of that mood somehow, taking a couple of deep breaths and getting in touch with your mind and saying, what am I feeling? What's triggering this? You know, did I get a phone call from my mom and it was unpleasant? Or did I have an argument with my boyfriend or girlfriend or child? What, what is doing this? Mm. And it, it takes a lot of effort and it takes a lot of time and you have to really want to do it. I think that's the main point. You have to really want to do it um, and and willingness to know that when you're working with someone who's going to hold you accountable, that it's a part of the journey. So you don't quit just because it gets hard, right? <laughs> well, so. you don't quit and you end up holding yourself accountable. I mean, anybody can follow a diet yeah. for a while. Anybody can do that. What 
what gets in the way later is your old habits take over and the old habits take over because you have not identified what they are to begin with, what's, what's leading to them and how you can change them. And so then the diet doesn't work and you're starting again. And I personally have a low threshold for boredom and I cannot imagine anybody doing the same thing over and over and over again and having the same unfortunate outcome. And I don't mean to sound judgmental, but you've got to ask yourself, why am I doing this to myself? Am I, am I using weight now when I talk about telling a story? Am I saying I keep losing the same 25 pounds over and over and over again because I really don't want to face the fact that my marriage is broken or my job is toxic or I feel lost or I'm eating because I don't eat. I'm not even hungry. I just want to feel numb. Wow. Wow. Those are all reasons you hear, huh? Yeah. Well, also, Susan, you talk a lot about this in your work. You talk also about mothers and daughters and the relationship and the examples they set. Let's touch upon that because I think that's very important. And thank you for sharing your personal story with us about your childhood and the relationship that you had. Um, how much of, of the mother-daughter dynamic plays a part um, in the women that you serve, you know, in their lives? You, is that pretty common theme? It is a common theme. And I don't want to sound like I hated my parents. I'm always very sensitive to that. Uh -huh. And they're dead now. So I mean, they don't care. But uh, <laughs> what's what's sad, and I really wish I could talk to them now. What's sad is that we wasted all of those years on such useless, unproductive ways of engaging with each other. I mean, I got a lot of wonderful stuff from them, but what I remember was not feeling loved. And as I say, I knew rationally they loved me, but they didn't show it in a way that I needed. And children internalize what they hear because right. they don't know any better. They can't measure it against some other other family or some other way of thinking, you know, your parents tell you you're not hungry and you think, okay, well, I'm not hungry. Mm -hmm. Or they tell you you're fat and you don't have a right to this, that, and the next thing. Okay. I don't have a right. So children internalize it and they can't see themselves or they see their moms who are constantly dieting, constantly worried about weight, constantly exercising and being unhappy and little girls think, I, I don't want to be a woman if that's what it means. You know, where's the, where's the glory in that? So, yes, parents can set a really good example. And it starts with mealtime. You know, make mealtime a pleasure. Put down the devices. Stop the diet talk. If you don't want to eat, don't eat. If you want to eat, eat. Make healthy food to the degree you can and then move on. Don't make, as my grandmother would say, a simus out of it. Don't make a big deal. You know, you also talk about um, the mission of One Girl Wellness, which is raising stronger women one girl at a time. Uh, how did you come up with that 
uh, mission or tagline. And when you when you think of your work, one girl at a time, like, can you paint us a picture of of how ideally you want to live that mission or how you're currently doing it? You know, I mean, do you do you go and talk to groups? Do you have, prefer the one on one coaching? What does it mean to raise stronger women one girl at a time for you? Well, you know, we never really grow up. <laughs> no, we don't. <laughs> we are all the little girl looking in the mirror, wondering what our life is going to be when we do grow up. And if you grew up hating your reflection, you, you are still that wounded little girl. So what I try to do with one-on-one -on -one coaching through my blog, through my social media, uh, through groups. And I'm, I'm thinking about developing a group for the coming winter. What I try to do in the book is to say, it's okay. You're safe here. You are embraced. And I give them, and by extension myself, the love they need, the love I wish I had received growing up. Because you cannot flourish if you don't feel loved. And I tried with the tone and manner of my website to be loving. To say, you know, it's hard, but you can do it. And I can help you because I've been there. How are women in your world finding their voice and using it? How are you supporting them with that? Well, this woman I mentioned in um, Texas, she was doing beautifully at her job, but she really wanted to work as an attorney for the military, mm -hmm. and she now is. Mm -hmm. I have another client who has is m medically complex, and binge eating is comorbid with her condition, and she had to leave her job but she is now a freelancer. She now is reaching out to other people and she's thinking about dating again. So these, here are two really extreme examples of women who've, who found the hope and the confidence to move on. I worked with a young woman who had been sexually traumatized and she wanted to feel good in her skin. And she not only sued her assailant, but won, and he is now in jail. And the judge said that he had never seen a case, a plaintiff, express herself with such strength and eloquence. Wow. So and powerful stuff, Susan, really powerful and empowering stuff that you're sharing with us today. Thank you so much for the work that you do. Can we touch upon the book a little bit? You know, when you wrote this book, Fat Girl, How to Get Over Your Weight and On With Your Life, what was that process like for you? And what is your greatest hope for your readers? It was a really hard project. I took no marketing clients for three months. I gave myself three months to write this thing. And it was the hardest bit of writing I have ever done ever in my life. Because wow. I was writing about me. Mm -hmm. And it, it had a triple aim. I wanted to articulate my philosophy for the practice. 
I wanted to give myself a little gravitas. I mean, it was self-published, but I still wanted it to be professional and useful. What I did not expect, and it, it's both those things, but what I did not expect was that it would have a therapeutic effect on me. The whole thing about mothers and daughters and expectations of perfection and um, and mothers without even realizing it, even with the best of intentions, how they can undermine their, their daughter's growth and confidence. Mm -hmm. I learned that writing a book and I learned that how it affected me and my mother and that, you know, it wasn't my fault. It wasn't her fault. It was just the way she was raised with certain expectations and they were deflected onto me because a lot of mothers feel and women feel they have to be perfect. They have to be perfect in every aspect of their lives and that women are judged as quality human beings by the kind of kids they put out. And that's so unreasonable. And my, I think my mother believed as many women do that if I have a perfect child, I will be seen as worthy and perfect too. Hmm. And I could no more be perfect than she could. And so the, the therapy for me was seeing my mother as a human being and being able to forgive her. And that's what made me really sad. I mean, that's how I could really grieve her death because I saw her as a person and not a monster. Wow. Mm, I just got chills. <laughs> wow. Well, then when you have your readers pick up this book and they're reading through it, you know, what, how, what to you would be considered success in terms of their feedback or what they got out of it? You know, have you heard folks who've read your book tell you how it's changed them or how it's supported them or helped them? I'd love to hear uh, some, some feedback that you've received about it. Well, most everybody who reads it says, is it okay that I laughed in places? <laughs> oh, yes. Humor. Uh-huh. And I said, well, of course, because I have a, one of the hard the creative challenges in writing that book was finding the right tone. And I don't like self-help books generally because I think they're very weepy and I think they're very self-pitying. And I don't, I have a hard time getting into them. And I didn't want to write a self-help book that I couldn't stand to read myself. And I have as a style, a certain snark. It's just my voice. And so there was a lot of snark, not directed at my reader, but directed at me. Mm -hmm. And so that was a way to break down barriers. It wasn't like I was saying, oh, I was, you know, I was lost and then I got saved and, you know, you can do it too. It was, this was a really shitty experience and this is how <laughs> I got over it, you know? Yes. And so the laughter, the humor, the what I would like to hope was a little wit mm -hmm. made it easier for them to connect with the story. And isn't that so important, right? The connection yeah. piece is so important because you want, you want your readers to relate to you um, as a human being. And you also want uh, your readers to, to feel like there's some mirroring going on, right? Like, Oh, right. I have that behavior. Oh, I'm not the only person. Oh my gosh. I'm not such an idiot, you know? <laughs> Or you want them to see in you 
somebody who can identify with them. Mm-hmm. That's right. It's, you know, you don't want to give somebody sympathy because sympathy and pitying, however well-intentioned, has a little element of superiority. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm so sad for you. What you want is for your clients to think that you see them and hear them because you are attuned to their stories and you want them to be equally attuned to their stories so they can write a different chapter the next time. That's really, that's really good, Susan. Well, let's, let's talk a little bit about your current work today. So what excites you most about your practice? Like what is the stuff that really lights you up when you get up and you look at your calendar and you know you got some really cool people to see? I love my clients. I really love them. And I am so thankful that they trust me, that they feel safe enough to be vulnerable in front of me, that they get to know themselves in ways they didn't think possible and I surely didn't think possible. You know, for a while I was a, I was a community theater actor and I would sometimes do original work. I would perform in original works in one act festivals. And I would often hear from the playwrights afterwards I didn't even see that in that character. Uh You put a wholly different feel to her that I never even envisioned. And I want that for my clients. I mean, I want them to see things in themselves that they never thought were possible. And I want to be surprised too. I mean, when this other client said she's ready to go back to dating, I almost fell off my chair. <laughs> I was so happy. Wow. Well, that's, I that's... was just like, oh, my God, because when we started six months ago, you could barely look me in the eye. You felt so bad about yourself. Oh, my gosh. That is so cool. That's so cool. And the fact that within six months, because sometimes people just say, and I've heard this too, in some of the, the work that we do at retreats and things, um, oh my gosh, I just don't know that I can, you know, become that person, right? That person that they have put on their vision board, you know, the confident, quote unquote, beautiful, um, self-reliant human being. And within a six month time frame that they can completely have a 180. That's true success. That means that you've been able to penetrate something very, very deep and give them new lenses. Well, I don't know if you ever read the prime of machine Brody. I have by not Muriel, by no. Muriel spark. You'll, you'd enjoy it. Okay. It's about this somewhat eccentric teacher in a girl's boarding school who breaks a lot of rules. And she often says that to educate is not to put facts in a person's mind, but to bring their intelligence out. I mean, if you look at the Latin roots of the word educate, that's what it means to lead out. And so I see my role, not so much, and I'm just hearing myself say this. So here's how coaching works. So it's not so much to put thoughts in them, well, you know, eat more cruciferous vegetables and drink water. (laughs) 
<laughs> it's, it's to help them say, oh, when I do this, I really want to do that. Got it. It's to lead enlightenment out of themselves so they can see it for what it is. That's right. See it for what it is, right? That's the acknowledgement piece. I love that, Susan. That's such a great point. Um, oh, gosh. I'm, I just, I'm just writing it down so I can remember for myself. <laughs> yeah, I won't send it to me because I won't remember it either. This is awesome. That's so great. Well, again, you know, we go back into what we first started off with, just the whole self-image and confidence um, to see yourself and to love on yourself and to nurture yourself, your body, your mind, your emotional desires to feel, you know, to feel good. There's a, there's a space for you in the world, right? Right. That you're not taking up space. You're giving to the space. It's You cool. are filling the space that was meant for you. Mm-hmm. Oh, so cool. Gosh, Susan, we could talk forever. I can't believe the time has, <laughs> it's like, this is, this, every time I talk to you, it feels like, uh, remember the first time we met and oh, sat with each right. other? It was like hours went by and I'm like, whoa, this is so cool. Well, thank you so much for sharing your insights with us. Please tell our audience how to connect with you and to learn more and to get your book and all the good stuffs. Okay. My website is onegirlwellness.com and it's spelled the way it sounds o-n-e-g-i-r-l-w-e-l-l-n-e-s-s.com and you can reach me through the site there's all there are also links to facebook and twitter if you want to connect with me there there's also my personal email address so you can reach me that way the book fat girl is a free download. So, you know, if you, if you want to learn more about how to get, get over your weight and on with your life, just click on the download and it's yours. And this year we also introduced a line of botanicals. Uh, these happen to be inhalers, although I call them scent sticks and individually they promote confidence, serenity, and sweet dreams. Nice. So check those out as well. That's great. Well, I didn't know that. I have to check that out myself. <laughs> well, Susan, thank you again. I really appreciate that you're a part of our community, that you and I connected and have a really a lovely bond. I really value the work that you do and so delighted that we can share all of the great insights that you shared today with our global audience. Uh, so thank you again. For, thank you. You're so welcome. For our listeners, we value you so much. We support you. We're here for you. To learn more about the SOAR Community Network and our upcoming summit, please go to soarcommunitynetwork.com and look up Summit. If you would like to contact us, be a guest, or suggest a guest, please do so by writing us at info at soarcommunitynetwork.com. Again, I'm your host, Mali Ponpadith, appreciating you. And until we speak again, take good care, everybody. Bye-bye for now. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of SOAR Podcast. Join us by visiting soarcommunitynetwork.com.